Welcome to the Fitness Industry Success Show. Ideas, inspiration, and interviews to take your fitness business to the next level. Next level. With over 23 years of fitness industry experience and the founder of Lead Lion, an innovative fitness marketing agency, here's your host, Nick Parker. Welcome, everybody, to another amazing episode of the Fitness Industry Success Show. Today, I am joined by an incredible guest, none other than Mr. Jeff Dyer himself. If you don't know who Jeff is, let me do a proper introduction before he comes on with us today. Jeff is a 40-year industry veteran who's been in the fitness industry in so many different capacities over the last 40 years with major contributions. He is also the current president of Crunch Fitness um, over in West Florida and Atlanta, formerly the founder and CEO of Lifestyle Family Fitness, an organization that had 55 clubs across four different states. He is also the winner of Entrepreneur of the Year Award in Florida back in 2002 and the Dell S. Dibble uh, Distinguished Service Award in 2007. I could go on and on and on, but we'll cut it there. <laughs> Thank you so much, Jeff. Welcome to the show. Thanks, Nick. I'm proud to be on the show. Thank you very much for the opportunity. Yeah, it is so great to have you on today. I know that our viewers are going to learn so much from you today because here in a few minutes, we're going to walk through kind of your journey and lessons learned along the way and you know what advice you would give to other entrepreneurs and people in the fitness industry. Uh, but before we get into the meat and potatoes of the show today, I want to play a game called Two Truths and One Lie that we do with all of our guests so people can get to know Jeff at another level. You down? Yeah, ready for it. Okay, for great. It. All right. So the premise of the game is you're going to come up with three different things about yourself. Two of them will be true. One of them will be a lie. And I'm going to guess which one is the lie. All right. Go okay. ahead and give us those three. I'll give you four situations. The first situation is I was born in Melbourne, Australia. And at the age of uh, 18, I was an overweight teenager. I weighed about 250 pounds, six foot three. Uh, I was an athlete, but an overweight athlete. And uh I ended up joining a gym in Australia, and uh, in three months, I shredded the weight off, and uh, it changed my life, and that uh, was my segue into the health club industry when I traveled around the world with my dad, got a job in a fitness uh, club in Oklahoma City, and that started my career in fitness. Okay. Uh, the second uh, situation was that uh, um, I had an opportunity to, uh, I used to belong to a round table of uh, club owners from around the world. And uh, I was invited to join the URSA board and uh, I had a fear of public speaking. I think everyone's got a fear of public speaking. <laughs> and uh, I got on the board of URSA and I thought, you know, I'm going to end up becoming president of this uh, program. <laughs> and I ended up becoming president. And my first public speaking gig was to walk out on the stage and talk to 10,000 people. Um, wow. And the third thing was uh, I've had a passion for travel. So I've been lucky to be able to travel around the world uh, virtually every year. Uh, but mainly through the roundtable of gym owners that I've known that have become very close friends. But uh, three times a year, we would go to a far off destination and uh, we would love it. And the fourth uh, interesting thing about my life is I used to be a country and Western singer in Australia uh, at the age of 18. So country and Western is uh, prevalent all over the world, not just unique to America. And uh, uh, obviously, you've got some great Australian country and Western singers, but that was what I did for about 12 months on a part-time basis. So there's my wow. four stories. Which one is wrong? Wow. This is going to be an interesting one for me and our viewers to guess here because 
not only did we do two trues and one lie, we did three trues and one lie because you're one of the most interesting men in the world, like the Dos Equis commercials. <laughs> and I love that about you. <laughs> um, I, you know, I know, I know you pretty well uh, on some of these things. I'm going to say true. I'm going to say the last one about being a country Western singer is the lie. Am I correct on that one? Yeah, absolutely. I can't carry a note to say that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. So Jeff has been on uh, the board with Ursha and was president of Ursha. And then you also, um, I did know your origin story about losing that weight and getting into the industry. We'll talk about that a little bit, but um, I got to know yeah. real quick, the first time you spoke in front of 10,000 people, how'd that make you feel? It felt great when I got through it, but uh, you know, I was sweating <laughs> bullets. You, know, you walk out on stage and the uh, John McCarthy was the uh, executive director and I had to read the, the minutes and all this stuff. And, uh, but you know, that's the only way you face The only way you beat your fear is to face them. And uh, mm -hmm. ever since then, I've been very comfortable with public speaking, but perhaps to have your first session in front of 10,000 people was a little nerve wracking. That's definitely like di diving into the deep end of the pool and learning how to swim or putting right. an airplane together on the way down and jumping out. Right. So <laughs> yep. Yep. great. Great. Well, let's, uh, let's dive into your story. I can't wait. Um, Walk me back. You know, you talked about how you were overweight. You had you were an athlete, but you were 250 pounds. You had to lose weight. And then that really sparked your interest in fitness. And then you ended up starting your own fitness company. Walk us through the, the origin story here. Yeah. So I uh, got a job in Oklahoma City uh, coming up from Australia. I was about 22 years of age. And uh, anyway, that did very, very well in sales in that particular company. The company was sold after a year and a half. And I moved to Florida. Uh, I had a choice between Florida and Texas. And uh, I was working in a gym in Florida. Basically, it was a two-gym chain, a chain of two clubs. And a member came in and wanted to invest in uh, or back me in opening a club in Lakeland, Florida. And uh, he put up the money. I put up, I had 49% ownership. He put up the capital. He had 51%. And we started a company called Lifestyle Family Fitness that later grew to 56 locations over the course of time. So the evolution of that company was the first year we came out of the box very, very strong, had a great first year, had about 2,500 members, was a small club. And at the end of the year, I went home to Australia to see my family. When I came back, he voted me out of the management of the company because I didn't control the stock. Right. He, was wow. a, he, had, he had an ego. He lives in the Philippines. He'll probably watch this show now. But anyway, <laughs> yeah. he had an ego. He takes over the club and votes me out. And uh, so... Uh, I couldn't do anything about it. And uh, I ended up taking all these management agreements for four or five clubs, cash flowed myself for about two years, and he bombed, he failed. And, uh, and I, so and I sued him for my interest in the business, and he agreed to sell me the company for 110 grand. That's what he had in it. Hmm. Um, and uh, I, I bought the business from him for no money down, I promised to pay 110 grand, 50% out of the profits, and my attorney said, well, if you're going to do that, why don't you get an option on the land, which I did as well. Anyway, he never expected me to pay him. He thought that would settle the suit and I would default. I didn't default. I bought him out and uh, ended up buying the land all within three years. Uh, and that was the start of a company that really became uh, a passion of mine. And uh, over mm. the next 17 years, we grew to about eight clubs. And uh, that's a long time to grow uh, only eight clubs. But back in the day, it was very difficult to raise capital. People didn't right. believe in health clubs as a viable lending entity. Uh, they said uh, health clubs, churches, and bowling alleys are taboo for lenders. So mm -hmm. I had to build those clubs out of uh, credit card debt, refinancing my home, uh, and uh, 
And so eventually uh, a guy named Ray Wilson came into town. You might remember Ray Wilson was the founder of uh, Family Fitness. Uh, he merged with uh, 24-Hour Nautilus and that became 24-Hour Family Fitness. Anyway, he sold his clubs to Mark Mastroff and he came to Tampa uh, with an announcement he was going to open up four clubs and crush the competition. So I proactively called him and said, Ray, can we do your back end? Can we do your accounting and your payroll and all those functions for 8% uh, of the gross revenue? And he agreed to do that. And that enabled me to learn about how the 24-hour family fitness model was working selling memberships month to month. This may be more detailed than you want. No, that is so brilliant. Can we camp on that for a second? So you, yeah, are, yeah. Are, well, you, you saw competition coming in and instead of it as a threat, you looked at it as an opportunity and went yeah, into I, their back end and learned everything about your competition. <laughs> that is incredible. Yeah. I've never heard of this before. So, okay, and I just want to make sure. And made, made a great friend out of Ray Wilson to this day. He uh, He's someone that I've learned a lot from. So anyway, we learned about all the back end and, uh, Unfortunately, he, he got one club open in, in uh, 1991 or 1994, but his son Perry later took his life for personal reasons and Ray wanted nothing to do with Tampa. In the meantime, we had converted our business model over to a month-to-month -month membership, selling memberships at $19.99 a month. This is back in 1990, uh, 1995, I think it was. And um, and that became a huge uh, catalyst for us to outperform the competition because back in the day, everyone was selling two-year and three-year contracts back in the days when Bally was the brand leader. Mm -hmm. And we were selling memberships on a month-to-month -month basis. We were crushing it. In 1998, I took on investment capital uh, with an, uh, a goal to grow the company to you know, 50 clubs. Um, and I learned a lot through those particular lessons. So we took our nine-club group, took on investment capital at about $6 million and started to accelerate the team. Hmm. And uh, we only had about $12 million in revenue that year, but we spent a million dollars on payroll. So wow. the, first lesson, the first lesson I learned from the private equity guy that I had back then was hire the people in advance of the growth. In other words, if you're going to grow to a 50-club chain, don't try to do it with people that have run a 12-club group or a nine-club group. Hmm. So... We were lucky enough to be able to recruit people like Dave Carney, VP of Operations, who's now the CEO of Orange Theory. We had uh, we were lucky enough to have Terry Blaycheck as the VP of Sales, who now has I think 120 Orange Theories that he manages. Hmm. Um, and we had David Long uh, uh, on the team, who is the owner of Orange Theory. So we had a lot of rock star people on the team, but these people came from the fitness company. They had operated 60, 70 clubs. So again hiring the people in advance of the growth so you can grow to their skill set as opposed to being overwhelmed by how, how do people manage so many clubs. That's so um, good. That's such great advice. Know, I really love that. Keep going. And, and it, it took a lot of guts to spend a million dollars on payroll on a $12 million company. But all of that worked. Um, staying focused, I think, was another thing that I learned. It's so, there are so many opportunities to get distracted and take your eye off the ball. Even today with Crunch Fitness, you have got to stay focused on the core program, what works and keep replicating it as opposed to going down all these different rabbit holes where you can make a little bit more money here, a little bit more money there. When mm -hmm. if you stick with your core purpose, you're very successful. Anyway. Can I ask you more about that? So yeah, let's yeah. talk at Lifestyle Family Fitness, your core offering, which was one of the best core offerings that's ever been in the history of the fitness industry. Talk to me about what that was. What was the core offering? What was the model and how did you replicate that? 
Yeah, well, the, the, the club was a 25,000 square foot club. Uh, membership pricing started at 1999. And uh, over the course of time, it, it evolved to 3595 a month. That was pretty much where the price ended up, which was a mistake, by the way. Uh, we had a great value proposition at 1999 a month. Mm-hmm. And when you get into those mid-teen price, those mid-market pricing, uh, it becomes more difficult to retain members and more difficult to be competitive. Mm-hmm. Um, but we had a private equity group and they wanted to see same store year over year sales growth, revenue growth from same clubs. And the only way to do that, you can't enroll any more members, you're already at capacity. The only way you can do that is to increase the dues revenue, right. um, which, which was good and bad, good during that cycle up, but uh, it's, it, it makes it more difficult to be competitive. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, 1998 took on the investment capital and over the next uh, uh, nine years, we grew to 56 clubs. Um, we had 33 clubs in the state of Florida and the rest of the clubs are outside the state of Florida in Indiana, uh, Ohio and North Carolina. Mm-hmm. Uh, Ohio, we bought from Ray Wilson's other son and the other two markets we uh, felt good about. We never performed as well outside the state of Florida as we did inside the state of Florida. Interesting. Uh, but nevertheless, it was a great company. We grew to uh, um, a tremendous, uh, tremendous growth. We, oh, yep. the organization structure was interesting. In order to manage the growth, you obviously need personnel, and the best people right. come from within your organization. So we had three. Uh, management teams. We had uh, obviously a general manager, pardon me, we had a sales manager, we had a personal training manager, and we had an operations manager. Each one had their own incentive plans. The operations manager had an attrition plan. So they had a salary and a bonus tied to how many members they were able to keep a month as opposed to how many cancellations they had a month. That's so good. Yeah. Do you think that that bonus plan, the way you structured that really attributed to the culture of being a sticky club and really having good attrition numbers? I Um, do. Absolutely. You've got, when you've got someone, first of all, you've got to be able to afford that position, which we could do because we were, you know, 6,000, 7,000 members at 35, 99 a month. So we had the cash flow to support those positions. It's very difficult today in the high value, low price category to be able to afford that operational role, but it was very effective for us. But more importantly, when you're trying to grow and you're trying to recruit managers, you could pull an operations manager out to run the next club. There was always plenty of people in the pipeline to manage that growth. And we were growing, you know, 10 clubs a year. So that's, you know, that was a massive growth curve. uh, Yeah, I would say so. So what are some of the, before we move forward, I want to hear some of the things that you learned uh, with Lifestyle Family Fitness the growing pains from two clubs to nine to 33 to 56. What are some of the things that you really stand out in your mind that you learned along the way? Well, the most important thing is to have a a healthy culture in a company, a company where uh, the employees feel valued. Let's face it. Most of our employees aren't working for the money. A lot of the people that work in our business are in that entry level wage, $10, $12 a month. So as the CEO, your job or my job was to paint the vision of where the company's going. So we had a big, hairy, audacious goal or BHAG, as, mm-hmm. as you would call it. Right. And that was to be the, the leading fitness brand in each one of the markets we were in and to be respected by the medical community because we provided a, an ethical uh, step-down program for uh, inactive population and uh, 
obviously we had a goal for a total number of members and total number of clubs. And we reached that BHAG. We had two, we achieved them both during the course of the, the company. But the culture is critical. And uh, that's where that VP of HR comes into play. We took one day off. This was not my idea. It was our um, CFO at the time, Todd Bright. Uh, we took one day off per year uh, and the, the entire clubs were closed. All the employees went to a picnic. And uh, and when you look back and you look at the Facebook page is still alive for lifestyle, that's what everyone talks about. That was the culture <laughs> that they were appreciated enough that the company would shut down for one day. Yep. which I, I think in some respects, isn't that what Chick-fil-A does? Every Sunday they close because yes. he's a Christian, but also it's a day off for the employees. And right. those kind of value propositions get remembered through the roof. So uh, again, I think having the culture, having the vision, I think having a big, hairy, audacious goal is very helpful. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, recognizing employees that have been in the company for 5, 10, 15 years, we were very big on that. But again, this is more of a reflection of the HR team as opposed to this is not my idea. So right. you've got to surround yourself with people that are smarter than you in all of the different areas. So Yeah, absolutely. Todd Bright was really good at that, especially in the human resource department and like Kevin LaFerrier running around his referee jersey at the picnic and things like that. So <laughs> yes. yeah, it does. It creates a great culture and you have to have a strong culture in order to grow because you'll never excel beyond what your team's capabilities are and if you have A players or not. So yes. I love that. That's that's good. So let's move to the last, uh, maybe the last year of lifestyle. Um, you're, you're being acquired, your things are changing. Walk me through, you know, what's going on during that time. And I'd love to hear kind of like how you felt during that time. There had to be some sentimental attachment to this is my baby that I started from nothing. And now here we go. So I would love to hear more about that. Yeah, well, in that last year, the company was being prepared for a sale. So there was a different CFO in the role. It was actually uh, Todd Bright uh, that was in that role. And then he was uh, proceed, uh, followed by a different individual. But um, yeah, I, I mean, it's gut-wrenching when you create a baby. Uh, I mean, every club's a baby. I, I, I don't know <laughs> how many owners are on this call, but every time you open a club, it's like having a child. They have their own personality. They have their own meaning. And uh it's an emotional, uh, it's an emotional thing. And uh, so when the company was sold, there were a couple of impactful things. The first one was when Lifetime bought the company, they bought the northern markets of Indiana, uh, Ohio, and North Carolina. And it was extremely well done. Uh, a lot of meetings, a lot of handholding, uh, and a lot of uh, appreciation for all the people. Hmm. When LA Fitness took over the Florida clubs, it was quite different. There was not a lot of communication. Mm. Uh, LA was beating their chest because they had taken out a competitor chain. Uh, so I remember that vividly. And I, I'm not going to uh, go into any more detail other than the fact that there, when you, get a, when you do an acquisition, uh, it's very important to make that person that gets acquired feel good about it. Yep. Um, I, I forgot the other thing, what the other thing was I was going to say, but... Uh, but yeah, it's it's uh, it's an emotional thing when you when you know the baby that you created goes away. So yeah, I'm just um, curious. How did you feel once the transaction was done and you were kind of stepping away? What what were some of the emotions you experienced at that point? Uh, you know, uh, it's just uh, you you feel uh, yeah you feel a little bit uh, upset about it. Obviously, you, you know you 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 lost the the game. Obviously. From my standpoint, my legacy was to create a company that I could leave to my sons, and that didn't happen because mm. I didn't control the company. We had a private equity group that had uh, five of the seven board seats, and uh, 
Um, and the two people that were with me voted in my direction, the other five voted to sell the company. And that's one of the problems when you take on private equity, you're getting married in the business world and uh, uh, you don't really know who that married partner is until you're living with them. And uh, But the decision to sell the company was not altogether unusual. They had their equity in the company for seven years and uh, that's about the timeline for private equity groups to get out. But uh, I think the lesson learned there is make sure you know who you're going into bed with in business because it is a marriage and uh, that's important. Yeah, absolutely. Just to segue from that, just talking about how do you feel. So I had a non-compete that I had to let fulfill its course. I bought a couple of clubs in Ohio um, that uh, kept my toe in the water and gave me an opportunity to evolve what, you know, small group training was evolving at that particular time. I was able to play with that, but I hated going to the cold weather climate of Ohio. Um, <laughs> for the prior 35 years, I competed with a gentleman named Vince Julian. And uh, in the Tampa, in the Florida market, he had a chain of clubs called uh, Shapes Family Fitness. And throughout our careers, we would still get together every six weeks and talk shop because we had employees crossing over backwards and forwards and Market trends are universal, right? We all go through those same market trends and we'd occasionally share a good story that we could learn from. But we had a good, respectful relationship. Hmm. During the course of Lifestyle, he'd opened four clubs, Southside Athletic Clubs in Sarasota, that were co-ed clubs, 25,000 square feet, that we eventually bought. So I got to know Vince a little bit better on a personal level. So Lifestyle gets sold. I'm up in Ohio. And uh, I get a text from Vince. He's, he's bought the rights to Crunch. He had a choice between Crunch, Planet, and UFIT. He chose Crunch because it was an edgy, cool, hip, uh, you know, brand for all the, reason, all the right reasons. Right. He wanted to get into the high-value, high low-price space. And he sends me a text and he says, we just picked up your Bloomingdale Club. Man, you built a beautiful club. That was like a punch in the stomach. <laughs> when you say, how do you feel? That was one of my babies. But I just lost to what was a previous competitor. Yeah. And then shortly after that, uh, he suggested, why don't we get into business together and grow Crunch together? And I was very uh, thankful that I got that um, invitation to join with, with uh, Vince and uh, his team, which was Tony Scamali and Jeff Dotson and, uh, and Bill Crunch. So I sold my clubs in Ohio. Moved down, moved, I was already in Florida, uh, hooked up with Vince. We just opened up our fifth location and uh, we have had a fantastic relationship. So the lesson there for anyone that's watching the show is know who your competition is and always treat your competition with respect. Let's face it, we're wow. all in this, you know, we're always in this business together. We're always all in this business together. A high tide floats all boats. You don't win a market share by slamming your competition you win by respecting your competition. They may do things differently to you, but have a respectful relationship because you never know when your competitor is gonna call on you and say, look, I just can't do it anymore. I wanna sell my club or I wanna sell my members or he may wanna buy your members. So you need to know every one of your competition. And uh, Vince and I had a, a very close relationship and it was an easy decision to go with him. Um, Rising tide floats all boats. And it's so true. And Jeff, that's why you're so successful because you stand out because a lot of people in our industry are very close to the vest and they look at their competition as a massive threat instead of embracing it and working collaboratively together in some way. I have to know though, how did you start that conversation with a competitor? Did you reach out? Did he reach out? How did you guys start that relationship? 
we started that relationship when we were both in the fifth year of our business. Remember, Lifestyle was a 30-year business. So mm-hmm. was Shapes Family Fitness. And I think uh, I had uh, three clubs. I think he had one or, or two. And we did a we did a, a, a lead box promotion where we put up uh, a prize together. And we shared leads. Remember, he wanted to <laughs> So that, that's that's how we uh, got to know each other. Through, <laughs> that's pretty crazy. Uh, co-promotion. And back in the day, I mean, wow. survival. So, yeah, doing joint venture promotions with other guys, that all works. So Wow, yeah. that is something I've never heard of before. So thank you for sharing that. That's really interesting. So, so now you get through this emotional, you know, the umbilical cord was cut from lifestyle and you're moving on to crunch and you've joined this amazing team in Florida. Um, give us a quick picture of what the lay of the land is now. How many crunches do you have now? And then walk me through this, the beginnings of that story. Yeah. So, uh, crunch, uh, is I think one of the iconic brands in the fitness industry started back in the nineties by Doug Levine, who was a very, very smart marketing fellow. If you really looked at the history of crunch, it's been an edgy brand right from the very beginning. They had the peekaboo showers. They still exist. Frosted showers where you can see the image of the person showering in the club. They still exist in New York. Uh, you know, all those workouts that they had, the, the stripper pole workout, the uh, gospel <laughs> choir workout, all those edgy things that he did. I remember going to a crunch gym in New York and, and the, main, the door to the maintenance door said, this is the maintenance room. Members are not allowed in here. If you'd like to get in here, go to the front desk and apply for a job. That's the kind, <laughs> of, the, that's the kind of in your face stuff that uh, Doug Levine did. So yeah. the crunch brand grew to 20 clubs, was sold to Bally, Bally ran it in the ground and Mark Bastroff and, um, uh, and the team at Crunch bought it out of bankruptcy and reinvented it as a high value, low price brand competing with Planet and competing with UFIT in Florida. Mm-hmm. And Vince shopped all those brands, felt best about Crunch because he had the freedom to be so able to express himself as an entrepreneur and not be in someone's sandbox where the rules were very rigid. And that was a great call. And uh, he originally had the rights to five clubs. And then when I got involved, we expanded those rights. Uh, so now we have development rights for the East Coast of Florida, the West Coast of Florida, Central Florida, and Atlanta. We've, um, wow. we've, grown, we've grown to, we just opened our uh, 35th club. We'll be at 36 clubs open by the end of this year, 2021. And next year, we'll grow to 50 locations. Uh, wow, have- that's big. Quick, that's really quick. It is. Yeah, we've had a 36% annual growth rate uh, in, the, in the five years I've been associated with the company. Uh, and uh, yeah, the growth has been unbelievable. We're the number one performing franchise group for Crunch. Crunch has uh, 400. They just opened a 400 club, I think, this week. Mm-hmm. Um, and we've got 35, so more or less 10% of the network. Uh, but we're a big believer in the brand. We've got uh, an additional 80 franchise rights that uh, we plan to execute. We're now buying more territory. We're very bullish on the brand. Um, it's a very strong value proposition. It's a membership that starts at $9.99 a month. Right. Our clubs range 25 to 40,000 square feet. We basically have a million dollars worth of equipment. We spend a million dollars building the club and, uh, and you know, all of that for $9.99 a month. For $21.99, you get access to group fitness classes for $29.99. You've got all of that plus hit zone, hot yoga, uh, hydro massage, tanning, bring a friend free. So it's a tremendous value proposition. Uh, our attrition rates uh, compare well with uh, lifestyle. 
Uh, and so we're very, very excited about it. It's excellent. Yeah, that's really interesting. And so now you're at the different end of the spectrum on the high value, low price model versus lifestyle. Um, do you find that it's a much more advantageous model in the market that we're in today versus being the premium price? I think so. I think we see that because of you see what's going on with 24-hour fitness and uh, these mid these mid-price clubs, including LA. I mean, LA is now converting as many clubs as they can over to a sporter. So they've got to give up their marquee name, LA Fitness, mm. convert to a sporter and evolve as a 999 brand. And you've got to ask yourself the question, does a four million dollar club with a pool and a bar, you know, with all of that, does it work at 999 a month? I don't know. <laughs> but um yeah, I, I think the I think the new value proposition starts at nine ninety nine a month, and uh, mm. the the one the ones that are in that category, the ones that are best surviving the uh, pandemic. Yeah, I would agree with that. So, but there obviously has to be a there ha, you have to give up something to be able to offer that uh, nine ninety nine a month price. So you guys don't offer the pool or the racket club type amenities. Crunch is a very trendy looking club. It's very neat looking. It's very you know edgy in design. What are, what is the um, what is the one thing in your mind other than pricing that makes you feel like it it works so well that model not just pricing but the the culture the paint on the walls the people what is it that's making that business work for you guys so well? Well, we have a, a tremendous personal training program. Uh, we think the best in the industry, and uh, that definitely is a differentiator. But from mm. a brand from a branding standpoint. Uh, Crunch did a revamp of their brand about three years ago, and uh, the Crunch 2.0 look is dynamic. A lot of color, a lot of energy. It's very exciting when you walk through the front door, and we have continued to fill the facility with boutique experiences, whether it's hot yoga, cycling, you know, the ride studio, boxing, uh, stretch. Um, we, we provide that boutique experience inside the club, all-inclusive for $29.99 a month. And I think... Uh, that's really where the difference is. When you compare that to a planet that really is just strength and cardio, we've now got group, personal training, and a boutique experience. All that high intensity interval training is what the what the public wants. So it's, yeah, it's let me ask story. you about that because I'm I agree with you 100%. And I see other big box brands, which I won't name, trying to pull that off, but they're not pulling the studio inside the box off it successfully. But you guys seem to be pulling that off very well. Um, are you finding that there's a good percentage of members and your classes are full in like your studio environment classes inside of the crunch? Absolutely. Yes, they're, they're, they're jammed. So we have an online reservation system that evolved out of the pandemic. And that's enabled, that's enabled us to have great reporting on capacity issues and, uh, you know, which members are using the club. But uh, no, without a doubt, the, the only thing that you would notice is that there's less usage of the free group fitness programs because a lot of those group members are evolving into the uh, the high intensity interval training programs. But mm. uh, you know, when, when your competition doesn't offer a lot of these functions, uh, it definitely gives you an edge. And mm. fortunately, we've got a company that's very nimble. So we're able to change on a dime. So it's very, very effective. That is fantastic. So one thing I know that you've always excelled in, even since the inception of time, is the personal training department, which is often a second thought in most companies. It's often neglected. But this is a primary driver in your companies. What is it now and back then that's made the personal training aspect so successful? Uh, it's, it always comes down to management. You've got to have the right people uh, with the right level of confidence uh, running the program. But uh, and you've got to be patient. These things don't happen overnight. You don't just come out of the box with a successful program. It takes 
a long while to develop the people. I think a key part of our success comes from the educational program that we put in place so we can take an entry-level position, a person that's uh, passionate about fitness and teach them the skills to not only be able to train, but also be able to sell. And, uh, and we can provide them with the educational component as well. So we can provide, provide them with a, a full career path. And we've got a handful of trainers that make over 100 grand a year. What a, what a blessing to be able to work in the fitness environment and make a six-figure income without having to worry about running your own business. So, um, yeah, we've got a, a tremendous team, a great culture, uh, a, a lot of professionals. Because we have such a successful program, we're able to attract a lot of people to it. And that's enabled us to uh, fuel the growth because when you're adding uh, 15 clubs a year, you need a personal training manager, you need an assistant manager, and you need 20 trainers when the doors open. Yeah. Um, you, the other thing that fuels it is the fact that um, we urge all of our members to get a kickoff session with a trainer so that they can be exposed to that experience because we know that a member with a trainer is going to stay longer. They're obviously going to pay more money. Uh, and they're going to have more invested in fitness. So it's a win-win when we get our members in front of trainers. So that is part of our culture as well. Yep. You know what I love about you, Jeff? You've been in the industry for 40 years and you're coming across just as excited today as you probably would have 40 years ago. <laughs> and so <laughs> I love that. And, and that's my next question is how do you, after 40 years of being in this industry, stay so energized and passionate and still have a big vision for the future without just settling, giving up or laying down. Uh, this is amazing to me. Well, I appreciate that. You know, I think uh, when you love the business you're in, uh, it's never work. Uh, the, the, the one thing that's really helped my career is the uh, roundtable experience. Um, and uh, this is Rex Roundtables. Mm -hmm. And uh, I joined the first one in 1994 with Tony DeLead and uh, Frank Napolitano and Dave Patchell Evans. And uh, we eventually evolved to a multi-club roundtable. Um, but sharing best practices, that's how you learn. Uh, I think the fitness industry is like a puzzle. It's like a crossword puzzle. You've got to figure, you're constantly trying to figure it out. I love the marketing side of the business. My son runs the marketing for our group of clubs. So I'm constantly trying to learn what's coming around the corner. And you don't know what's coming around the corner mm -hmm. by reading what's online. You've really got to be in touch. I was on the phone this morning with Dave Patchell Evans. He's got 400 clubs in Canada. I learned from him. He learns from me. That's how you mm -hmm. evolve. You evolve by sharing best practices. You can't share best practices if you don't have your ear to the ground. So Again, knowing who your competition is, that'll help you learn. Mm -hmm. uh, knowing, uh, having a peer group of friend, friends uh, helps you a lot. And let's not forget URSA. Uh, having a board experience at URSA was a great way to elevate the profile of my brand and also uh, earn the respect of my peers at that level. So um, absolutely. I think yeah, that's, that's, where the, the key. that's where the passion comes from, the, the peer group. Yeah, the peer group and you're, you're in business, you know, with other people collaborating together. I completely agree with you 100%. I'm in a agency mastermind with hundreds of other very successful agency owners, and we always collaborate. And every time you're conversing, you get sharpened. Iron sharpens iron, right? And so you feel that and it keeps your energy alive. So last uh, last question here, and then we'll, we'll give some advice for young entrepreneurs and close up the show. Um, What's the vision now? You talked a little bit about it. You're opening more territories. You, you've got a forecast for the future. What's the big BHAG now that you're chasing? 
Well, uh, my personal BHAG is to see my sons be successful in the business business. So uh, hmm. that's my personal uh, big, hairy, audacious goal. And uh, I'm confident they'll be successful. But interesting you asked that question because it just came up two weeks ago. Um, we, uh, we have the opportunity to retire uh, and do nothing, but we have decided that we don't want to do that because we have too much fun being in the business. So we're going to grow to uh, we're going to grow to 100 locations. So we've got wow. uh, we've got 34 open, and uh, we want to build a billion dollar company. We think that uh, we wow. can get there with uh, 100 to 110 locations. But we just talked to our equity partners, and uh, we would like to stay in and see the current leadership team uh, grow this company to uh, you know 110 locations. Yeah. Are you looking to adopt any more sons? <laughs> just checking i had to throw that out there just in case all right no, so but, last but, to, but to, to do that we need to we need to expand our footprint so we've got to get more than 80 licenses that we currently have so our, our goal right now is to have a bigger footprint Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. So th- I'm I'm so impressed and I'm so thankful you came on the show. There's a lot of people that are gonna that are watching the show that are all di- they're they're seasoned veterans with multi-unit club owners. Uh, there's people who are just starting out and are maybe shopping franchises and looking to get into the business. Maybe they own a different business. Um, what advice would you give young entrepreneurs who are at the early stages? They're in the grind. It's struggle. Every day is hard. Like, what would you say to them right now? Well, I think, first of all, know the industry inside and out. You've got an obligation to read and stay current. There's a lot of publications out there, Club Insider, Club, in, uh, Club Solutions, URSA. You've got, to, you've got to be prevalent at all the trade shows, know what's going on. Um, have, have your eye around the corner. I think having a good peer group of people that you can learn from is critical. Know your competition. Stay focused. Uh, I think in order to get involved in your own business, you've got to have the confidence confidence to take risk. The only way you can have that confidence is by knowing your product inside and out. So you've got to know sales, marketing, attrition, and to a lesser degree, the home office. You can hire someone to run the home office, but you've got to know how the heck it works. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the final bit of advice is if you're going to get into, if you're not in business for yourself, do so at a young age. It's a lot easier. It may not sound easy, but it's a lot easier to get in business in your late 20s early 30s, uh, you've, got, you've got less to lose and uh, you're not married, you don't have kids. Mm-hmm. So that's the time to take the risk. Take the risk when you've got the least to lose and take the risk. Uh, the only way you can take the risk is if you have the confidence to perform. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, that, that's, I think uh, getting started uh-huh. at an early stage is the, right, is the right move if you want to get in business for yourself. Yeah, I can't help but ask one last question. You're always looking around the corner what is your thoughts on the future of our fitness industry? Well, that, that came up uh, that came up just the other day. It was actually Frank Napolitano that commented, you know, this Peloton stock drop of 35% and uh, the planet increase in value. I thought that was a good thing for the industry when planets year-over-year uh, usage has gone up, um, mm-hmm. and that puts a lot of confidence in the eyes of the con- consumers. I don't know that uh, streaming uh, video content is uh, going to win over uh, the live experience. Uh, we're big fans of Crunch about the live workout experience. Mm-hmm. I think the, the future of fitness is, is very, very strong. Remember now, we have another reason for people to join, which is to protect their health. And right. insurance companies, uh, there's a lot of activity behind the scenes with insurance companies wanting to incentivize people to be more active. You've got all these wearables that are connecting the dots. We'll show 
insurance companies, who's active, who's not. Um, and uh, what else? I, I just, uh, I think, what have you got? You've got 22% market, 22% of the uh, adults in this country belong to a fitness center. I think the right. future is very, very bright. We're certainly very bullish on it. Uh, um, yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. I am too. Thank you so much for that. I'm very bullish on it. I think the future is bright. I think that the people that have uh, the ability to stick through it and keep pushing forward are going to be very successful in the future and help a lot of people along the way. So it's very exciting. Excellent. Well, Jeff, thank you so much. This has been an invaluable experience. I know that for all of you that are listening uh, to the show right now, he has been dropping lots of bombs and gold on you as far as lessons learned along the way and uh, just kind of vicariously being able to live through his experience. What an incredible show. Thank you so much for being on. We really appreciate it. Um, and uh, we hope that you have a wonderful uh, you know, future with your sons taking over one day. Maybe one day I'll have one of your sons on the show uh, in 10 years from now or something like that. So remember, the more you know, the more you grow. So like, share, and subscribe to the next level of success in your fitness business. And until next time, stay tuned.